How Podcasters Are Making Money with Podcasting. This is a special crossover episode with Brian from ProfitCast. Welcome to The Audacity to Podcast, episode 206. Thank you for joining me for the Audacity to Podcast. This is the award-winning how-to podcast about podcasting, where I give you the guts and teach you the tools to launch or improve your own podcast for sharing your passions and finding success. I'm Daniel J. Lewis, and the majority of this episode is actually going to be a crossover episode with my friend Brian from ProfitCast. You can check out his website over at ProfitCastUniverse.com. He has a niche podcast about podcasting. Yeah, if you couldn't get any more niche than having a podcast about podcasting, Brian did. His is a podcast about growing and monetizing your podcast, and it's a podcast about podcasting. So try and over niche that if you can. But Brian and I have this great conversation about the different ways that we see other podcasters making money with their podcasting efforts. And don't immediately turn this off thinking, oh, I'm not in podcasting to make money. Look at this as an opportunity for you to maybe just cover your expenses for your hobbies, learn what works, and maybe be inspired by this for other things that you're doing in ways that you might be able to discover that maybe with very little effort, you could make some extra money from your podcast, even if it's not your full focus and attention to try to make money from your podcast or turn this into a business of sorts. Before we get into the actual episode, though, I want to let you know the podcast award nominations are open rather than give you all the details here about the different shows on Noodle Mix Network that we'd love to have you nominate for the awards and then the eventual voting. The best way that you can get the details for this and help us out is go to the audacity to podcast.com slash podcast awards. You'll join an exclusive mailing list over there that we'll use for the podcast awards to give you the details about how to nominate us. And then when the voting starts, send you reminders of where to vote. You can probably guess that we want the audacity to podcast in the technology category, but we also have podcasts under best produced people's choice, entertainment, education, comedy, a bunch of other things. So we'd love your support. And this is really a chance for you to show how awesome you are. Not how awesome I am or any of the other network hosts, but how awesome you are. So please go over to theaudacitypodcast.com slash podcast awards for more details on that. Now here's my conversation with Brian from ProfitCastUniverse.com. I think the way that most podcasters are hoping to make it big in monetizing their podcast would be with sponsorships. But there are so many other ways to do that that I think you really need to broaden your horizons. And that's what we're going to do with this is expand your perspective to help you understand what some other podcasters are doing, what seems to be working, what seems maybe not to be working, and just kind of our thoughts on what others are doing and the success they've had, as well as some of the things that we've tried. Yeah. And I think too, one of the things that I've had a big a realization on, but also just making sure that people understand this too, is that there's a lot of one size fits all teachings and strategies out there. And, you know, let's face it, one size fits all does not work for everybody, of course. And so I think a lot of this comes down to looking at these different monetization strategies, maybe talking about, you know, which ones are really hard to do. 
and which ones might be a little bit easier to do, but may not generate as much income. But we'll talk about that. But then also looking at who's doing what, why it's successful for them and how that would relate to you as well. Exactly. So we've got several things here to talk about. Sponsorships, affiliates, product resale, product or course creation, donations, premium content, services, and coaching. And a lot of people doing a lot of these things. But I think the first thing on everyone's mind when they think about starting a podcast to make money is getting a sponsor. There are a lot of podcasters with great success on this. Do you think sponsorships is the hardest one or at least one of them? What do you think? I think yes and no. It's the hardest in that you really have to have not only a big audience, but an engaged, active audience. Because the number that matters most to the sponsor isn't really the size of the audience, but it's how many people from that audience purchase or sign up for whatever thing. So they can assume certain things more on a bigger audience if they just take like a 3%, which is actually kind of high. But if they take a 3% turnover rate, and look at an audience of 10,000, that's going to be many more people than an audience of 100. So it is somewhat of a numbers game, but the number that really matters to them is what they're actually making from it. So I think that's the hard part is you have to get to that point of having a large enough audience that a sponsor would care to even consider it. But the easy part is that a sponsorship is just something you can say in the episode and for the most part, be done with it then. So then, you know, when you're, when you're saying that they want to know how many people are actually going to convert to buy their product or service or whatever it is, you know, they're not going to know that right away because they're saying, okay, we want to see if you even have an audience or not. But so, so how are they going to determine really what that turnaround is going to be or what that conversion is going to be? Yeah, that's where they have to have some kind of tracking method, unless all they're concerned about is just brand awareness. Like if it was a Coca-Cola or a Pepsi or something like that, they're not going to have like coca-cola.com slash the audacity to podcast or anything like that. But it's more just getting the name out there so everyone knows about it. You can't measure something like that except just to see, is the company continuing to grow? Probably. But the companies that do offer something online, you have those tracking links that you can use where it might be something like audible.com slash the name of your podcast. Or maybe it's a link you set up on your own website where it's like myawesomepodcast.com slash audible, something like that yeah. so that they can see how many people did you actually bring in. It's so funny. I hear this. People are out there like, I want to get Coca-Cola and you know, I want to get Disney and some of those big ones. And I'm thinking like, mm. <laughs> that's going to take something pretty successful. I'm assuming on that. Yeah. And some of those are actually CPA sponsorships and a CPA is where you're paying or getting paid based on actions. It's basically an affiliate deal. Yeah. Like lynda.com, for example, I am in lynda.com's premium partner program. Nice. And it's still an affiliate deal though. I only get paid if people sign up. Now I get paid more than just anyone out there who goes and signs up for their partner program. They've extended something special to many podcasters, but it's something where I still have to make those conversions Whereas a CPM or flat rate sponsorship is, I get paid this amount no matter how many people convert. I think a lot of people like to refer to John Lee Dumas's numbers Mm -hmm. when talking about how much he makes from podcasting. But if you look at his actual numbers and the breakdown of each of the numbers, you'll see that the podcast sponsorships are actually a very small portion. Like we'll take uh, December 2014, for example. I'm looking at that right now. Yeah. He made 
almost $300,000 for the month. And almost $100,000 of that was just expenses. So keep that yeah. in mind. Yeah. That's one third of his total income went to expenses. So just factor that into your own That's numbers. Huge. But for his sponsorship of that nearly 300000 income, gross income, only about 60000 of that was from sponsorship. Most of his money is coming from other places and he's able to make that much even from the sponsorships because one thing, he has a big audience. It's somewhere around 30,000 downloads per episode. I mean, seven episodes per week. Yeah. So the math adds up really quickly, much more quickly for a daily show than for a weekly show. But he still has that leverage because he has a large audience too. What that works out to be is, you know, just over 1900 per episode based in sponsorships, which really, if you think about it, I mean, that's still a, a good number, but that's really not a lot in the grand scheme of things. And so you're right. When he's doing seven episodes a week, 31 episodes for the month of December, I'm assuming, then yeah, that's, that's, that's your around $60,000 for that month. So if you're only doing a weekly episode, then obviously you're not going to get nearly that. If you're, look, if you're looking at that CPM model, that is, you're not going to get that amount of money coming in. I've done some things with sponsors before on my Once Upon a Time podcast and some of the other podcasts. Some of them have been the common ones like GoToMeeting mm-hmm. or Audible. Some others have been more directly negotiated. And what's always fun as a podcast host is to have a sponsor who sticks with you over time. Yeah. And then you can develop your sponsorship with them and develop the ideas that you have of how to present the sponsorship. And maybe this week you want to focus on this particular thing or the next week you're focusing on something else. That's one of the ways that I think Audible succeeds so well in the podcast sponsorship space is they encourage the sponsors or they encourage the podcast hosts to list a different audiobook each time. And so each ad is a little bit different, recommending something else and for a particular reason. You know, like you mentioned, lynda.com, Audible, some of those and all that. And I know that that's kind of the go-to ones because they're they're working with podcasters really well. But at the same time, you really need to ask, is your listener community really, I mean, are they going to resonate with these sponsorships? Right. You really have to make it relevant. Like with our lynda.com, we're doing that with our clean comedy podcast. And you wouldn't initially think there would be something tied together there, but we figured out a way to tie it together. And that might be, maybe you want to make your own funny videos or you want to learn how to edit images or something like that. So we tie it in to describe something that makes it relevant to our audience. But when we had go to meeting for our clean comedy podcast, that just didn't really fit. I had experience with GoToMeeting. Sure, that fit, but it didn't fit our audience. And so I think that's a very big reason why they didn't renew. Yeah. Although it's great for the audacity to podcast because people might need that for their communities. And, you know, if they're going to be putting together courses and stuff like that and coaching people, then that's a perfect, perfect solution. Yeah. But there, like with the audacity to podcast, it does have a very loyal audience, but I think my earning potential is much higher if I'm promoting something else not being sponsored by a particular provider of any kind of service. Mm. For the Audacity podcast. Right. Interesting. Yeah, like with affiliates or products I might create. If someone sponsors the Audacity podcast, and I have had a go-to meeting and I think one other sponsor before on the Audacity podcast, now looking back, I regret that. 
because I realized and that just kind of hurt my branding. Is this the Audacity to Podcast where I'm providing my own products and services? Or is this a podcast that's sponsored by some other product or service? I know Cliff has mentioned this in the past, spoke with Gary Leland about this, and, and Gary was very vocal about saying, why would I want to promote somebody else's products when I can promote my own and be my own sponsor? Because then I get all the all of the profits and also it's just a perfect, you know, it's a perfect relationship with what he's doing. Right. And so that was kind of an interesting perspective looking at it, that sponsorships are wonderful, but then again, having your own product, if you're, if you're into that, if you're into that place and you're ready to go with that is, is a far greater reward. Yeah. And you always want to look for that good fit. Like Cliff Ravenscraft has had a couple podcasts sponsored before, like his family from the heart podcast mm-hmm. sponsored by Mardell, which is a Christian family booksellers. So it fits really well with his Christian family focused audience or um, his other podcast that was about working with virtual assistants was sponsored by a virtual assistant providing company. And so it just perfectly fit the audience. And, you know, that was really cool too, because, you know, family from the heart with Mardell and everything. I mean, it, it literally was like their listeners were going out and shopping at Mardell because of the stuff that they actually needed. It wasn't like it was a, Oh, Hey, maybe I should, you know, add this into my purchasing list. It was stuff they were already, they were going for school supplies and other things like that, that they were going to be going to target for instead or something like that. And they went to Mardell instead, which was, it was a perfect fit. And I know that, you know, it was a, it was actually based too on the loyalty. Like you were talking about almost that CPA standpoint where there was conversion for Mardell. I know Mardell benefited greatly from it and it was cool. It was, it was a really neat situation. And then when the, scenario wasn't the best fit for either anymore Then you know, they parted ways and everything was fine. It's a great example to look at that. It's not just about the numbers like you were saying earlier, but it really is about the benefit to each person involved. Yeah. So I think you have to really build an audience and get them used to buying things through your links or taking actions on things that you mentioned in the podcast before you can really be of value to a potential sponsor. You know, my theory really comes down to you have to, I mean, there's the typical things. You've got to have a good podcast first. And I know a lot of podcasters may struggle with their identity, their, their content, you know, how they sound, the presentation. Are people even like when they come and listen to this person's podcast, do they even like what they hear? Are they going to come back? Is it compelling enough? I mean, that's really where it has to start. Then you've got to get out there and let people know that your podcast is even around. And then you're building relationships and creating that loyalty. To me, it's like everybody wants to jump to the monetization strategies. We all want sponsorships. We're going to, you know, get our affiliates up. And while, you know, that's a very important thing to be working on, if it's something that either it's your living or you're trying to cover expenses, you've got to be responsible with that. But what do you think is kind of the best, let's just say sequence of events to really ensure that a podcaster can succeed with monetization strategies in a way that is beneficial to the podcaster beneficial to the listeners and delivers value and does not end up in frustration and failure. (laughs) I think it depends on where your starting point is. You look at companies like ABC, the television station, and they just show this is a new TV show that we're launching. Would you like to advertise on it? And then, you know, advertisers then decide yes or no, they will because they, there's a certain reputation there. The same thing like with when celebrities get into the podcasting space advertisers make certain assumptions about advertising in this podcast that will probably be extremely popular because of 
who's behind it and their already existing reputation. But I think most of us podcasters don't have that reputation to an advertiser. But what we can have is a reputation of great content, like you were saying. Yeah. So I'm thinking really the thing that podcasters should focus on is making that great content, building a loyal audience. What do you think would be the first steps? Yeah. I, you know, I think it, like you said there, it comes down to content presentation and then really building those relationships because without that, without your content, you don't have a podcast. I mean, you could be out there talking about random stuff and, and you just don't have that loyalty because people don't know what you're doing. (laughs) You know what I mean? So I think that's, that's probably the first thing is your content and your presentation of your podcast and presentation includes a lot of things because you know, I hear this all the time. I hear, I hear questions like, how do I promote my podcast and get more listeners? And I think that's a great question because you need to know, you know, with any business and I I consider that you're either doing a a podcast as a hobby, in which case you don't really care how many listeners you have. You're just, you're just having fun. You know, you're delivering value. But for those of us who are, are looking at our podcasts as something that is going to grow or it's going to become a business or it's going to come around a business, that kind of thing. You have to have the responsibility of knowing your numbers regardless. I mean, I know you're not supposed to be like, Uh, don't check your numbers all the time and get addicted to that, but you know, you got to know your numbers and that's for anything. More importantly too, is knowing how are you going to get in front of people and then how are you going to keep them? Because if you can't keep your listen, if you can't keep people coming who listen to your podcast, then something's not right. You know what I mean? And, and really keeping a listener involves your content and your presentation because if they don't like what they hear, they're gone and and they're probably going to give you what 15 seconds to a few minutes, whether or not they're going to turn it off or keep listening. Right. Isn't that what it is? It's about 15 seconds. It, it varies depending on how the podcast is produced. If sure. it's something where someone can quickly learn what this topic is, they may quickly decide, no, I'm not interested in this topic. Sure. But it's some, if it's something more regular where they, it's a taste that grows on them, I think they'll give it a bit longer to decide, do I like this personality? Do I like their approach to this content, the way they're presenting it? Do I even like what they're talking about. I don't think someone would find a podcast if they weren't in some way interested in the content. Yeah. Well, and then, you know, you, you've heard of the whole serial phenomenon, that whole podcast and wow, how did they explode to be the biggest downloaded podcast ever? And, you know, of course you mentioned this, like with ABC, they had NPR behind them. So they had the resources and the, the audience, the built-in audience already. But what was fascinating to me was the viral aspect of Serial, the amount of podcasters and people that I knew who were just talking about it constantly. In fact, people who used to ask me, what is a podcast? were all of the sudden saying now, oh, this is the coolest thing ever. You know, so they, they know what a podcast is now. So the viral nature of Serial is exceptional. And I think we should be studying what it was that created that, that viral aspect. And I think, a lot of that had to do with their content. It was compelling. Yeah. You know, I think that was probably the most important thing about it is that it is something people wanted to hear. And then they were left with a cliffhanger. I got to know what happens next week. You know, I've got to come back. So and their great momentum that they had going into it because yeah. it took them almost a year to produce cereal. Wow. And we only hear then the short series, relatively short series. And even a TV show takes almost a year to produce one season that airs for a few months out of the year. Yeah. So there's a lot of backend work that goes into this to get the momentum starting to promote it ahead of time and 
letting people know this is coming or this is how you can get this or this is why this is so awesome. Yeah. Press releases and it, it really depends on what do you have before you start? What can you put into this to invest? That's one of the reasons that John Lee Dumas brought out when I interviewed him on the Audacity Podcast 200th episode is that he invested a lot of money into the launch yeah. of his podcast. And that's one of the reasons why he got so successful is that he nailed a lot of things going into this because he had the financial resources to be able to do that. Yeah. You know, and, and I say this all the time, but the blessing of podcasting is anyone can start a podcast. The curse of podcasting is anyone can start a podcast. And you are exactly right. John Dumas, Serial, they went out, they invested a lot of my thousands, tens of thousands of dollars. They invested lots and lots and lots of time. They hired people who were experts to help them and coach them. And like you said, Serial took one year to produce. How many of us are putting one year into our podcasts before we launch? I mean, really, we got to ask that question. So if we're not willing to do that level of work, commitment, tenacity, perseverance, that kind of thing, then we can't expect that level of result. And so we need to be looking at it as that, what level of result do we really want? And if we want John Dumas's level of success and Serial's level of success, then buckle up, people. (laughs) It's going to be a long ride and it's going to be a lot of work. But if we're saying, okay, well, maybe we don't want quite that level, but let's be realistic and say, let's get some sponsorships. Let's get some affiliates. Let's release some products and stuff like that. You're still going to be putting a lot of time and effort and commitment into this kind of stuff. And it's going to take a lot of work, but let's break this down a little bit. Content. We talked about that. Marketing. Got to let people know it's out there and you got to promote it and you got to tease people on it and you got to, you got to bring people to your podcast, to your products, et cetera or else they're not even going to know about it. And then of course there's the delivery, making sure that you've followed through on what you said you were going to deliver. And that is excellent content that delivers value presentation, something that people like, and then they want to talk about. So, I mean, those are, those are some big, I mean, that's just a three of them right there. Yeah. Three and that's factors. really the foundation of everything that you do with growing your podcast. Even if you're not trying to make money, but especially if you're trying to make money, yeah. you better make sure that those foundational aspects are in good standing before you move on to other things. Most of the time, we really have one chance for a listener. And so, you know, if you get out there and you advertise it to somebody and somebody comes and listens to it and they don't like what they hear, it's a lot harder to reacquire a listener than it is to just start over with something that is right and acquire new listeners. Right. So that's something to factor in. Make sure that, you know, before you get out there and just start, I mean, we're bright, shiny objects people. A lot of us as podcasters, you know, And so we have a tendency to think, oh, this will be fun. And then we do it. And I am so guilty of this. I have done this on ProfitCast. I've gotten excited about something and I went and talked about something. I went, oh, that's not a good idea. (laughs) You know what I mean? Oh, the damage is done. Got to be careful. You know, so, and especially when you're getting and starting to work with sponsors, they're going to be watching you too. Yeah. They want to make sure, is this something I'm willing to associate with for my brand? Yeah. So you mentioned that John Dumas is doing sponsorships. Cliff's doing some sponsorships and has in the past. Lou Mangello does sponsorships. And then you said you've got some. Yeah, for my Once Upon a Time podcast or Clean Comedy podcast. And that's often on. Sometimes I'll make it more a thing that sounds like a sponsorship, but gets people used to hearing a commercial of some sort. Yeah. Maybe it's a a CPA deal like lynda.com is something I can always fall back to now. Or maybe it would be something else like an audiobooks.com affiliate deal. 
what steps would you recommend for a podcaster to say, okay, I need to have this in order and then I need to start approaching people? You need to know your audience, knowing what your audience would be interested in, knowing how big your audience is and knowing how likely your audience is to take action on something. So what can be great to do is have something as a call to action in several episodes or every single episode, have some kind of call to action. And if that call to action costs a little bit, especially measure that kind of thing. Like if it's an affiliate link or something, and we'll talk more about affiliates in just a moment. But that way you can go to a potential sponsor and you can say, I get this many downloads per episode and always go on the conservative side of that. Mm -hmm. Because if you start charging them for more downloads than you're actually getting, they will feel cheated. They will be cheated actually. And they won't come back and they may never be interested in sponsoring a different podcast. So don't hurt the podcasting industry. Be conservative. If anything, Mm -hmm. exaggerate how conservative you are. What's more important to show them is how engaged your audience is, how well their product or service fits with your audience and how you think you could promote this and tie this together for them. I think that would be great to show them to say, I have this podcast audience and I know many of them are using this or I already use this and many of my people would probably love to use this as well. How about we work out a sponsorship deal because I think I have your target customers and look at this. When I've previously recommended products, this is the feedback I've gotten from people saying, thank you so much for recommending this. I loved it. Uh, These are how many people have signed up previously for other things like that. You really want to show what is the leverage you have, not just the mere audience size. I like that. And and you're right. Showing that leverage, I think, is going to develop a more powerful relationship in in general. We spent a lot of time here on sponsorships because that is the big thing that there are many complicated pieces to that. But the thing that's a lot easier for people to do are affiliates. And this is the thing that like, who isn't doing an affiliate link? (laughs) I know. Seriously. I think, you know, probably the one that generates the most notoriety is Pat Flynn because that's his primary business. And, you know, he generates, gosh, somewhere in the neighborhood of, I would say somewhere between probably 70 to 80,000 a month in, in affiliates on an average. And he was kind of the one that really showed this is a passive income. That's very smart. <laughs> But I like what he did. And, and and the cool part about affiliates that I like is that you're recommending a product that you've used ideally, that you love, and that will be relevant to your listener. And it does not cost your listener anymore. It's not actually asking your listener for anything per se. You're going and saying, hey, I just bought this product or I just purchased this service and I'm using it right now. It's amazing. And if you want to check it out, here's a link. And by the way, it's an affiliate link. And so it's delivering value for your listener without even asking them for anything, which is amazing. Always near the top or the top thing that Pat Flynn is earning affiliate income from is Bluehost. Yeah. And he is earning more than the average affiliate can earn from that. But the reason he's earning so much is he has put out something very valuable to people. And that is a video that explains how to create a blog in just a few minutes. And in that video... He shows how to do it with Bluehost. So the video isn't all about, let me tell you about Bluehost and how amazing they are. It's let me tell you this valuable thing. Mm -hmm. And here's a great tool I recommend for doing this. And look how easy this tool makes it to do this. And that's why he's making so much money from that. As well as Michael Hyatt has something very similar that he's making a lot of income from 
is Bluehost affiliate because he's put something out there of high value that shows how to use Bluehost to achieve that high value thing. Yeah. And Ryan Oakley of Smug or a photography on the side is doing that with Smug Mug. He gets out there and he's got an incredible review series of what's well, a video series basically on how to use Smug Mug and how you can get your photographs up on an amazing website and get it out to, you know, the people who want your your photography. And then he's got an amazing affiliate relationship with Smug Mug. And I know he's been making, you know, in the neighborhood of four or five figures a month with this as well. And you deliver this value over time too. Like just recently with the Audacity to Podcast, I had my best month ever in affiliate income from Amazon.com. Nice. In December, 2014, $1,200 from just Amazon.com, which to me, that is huge yes to me i mean usually i was seeing four or five hundred dollars per month which i know to many podcasters that's still a big amount but i think there were several factors that contributed to that making it successful one is in almost every episode i'm talking about something a product an item i'm not promoting it as in go buy this Mm -hmm. but in almost every episode i mention something that is available for sale somehow, somewhere. And I always try to make sure those are affiliate links. I don't only mention them just because they're affiliate links. And I don't mention things that are only affiliate links, but I try to make anything I mention also be an affiliate link when possible. And so there's an archive of episodes out there, 200 episodes. So you could just consider that might be 200, 400 different products I've mentioned, or maybe a handful of products I've mentioned across several episodes commonly using my Amazon affiliate link. And also during the end of November and December, I was doing this experiment where I was emailing and blogging deals for podcasters. If I saw something on Amazon or B&H that looked like a great deal, maybe it's headphones, a microphone, a piece of software, some hardware, something that just looked interesting. I thought, this looks great. It's a great price. And I think podcasters would be interested in it. I had a separate mailing list for that, that right now even is only up to 125 people or so on that mailing list. But I would also blog it and share it on social media. And I think a lot of that contributed to the affiliate income as people would see that, recognize the value of that item, purchase it, but also while they're there, do their Christmas shopping on Amazon as well. Yeah. Often visiting one of my links first. So I think that's what that work plus being Christmas time is what contributed to that high earning during the month of December. You mentioned this with affiliate, you know, you, you did 1200 from Amazon, which is amazing. I mentioned this a few minutes ago, but being in Colorado, I can't do Amazon at all. And so you mentioned BNH as an option. What other options are there for those of us who can't do Amazon? Yeah, that's tough. Honestly, if I was in a place like that, I would actually move, but I know that's not (laughs) possible. For everyone. Yeah. But uh, it's that important to me that I would realistically move if my state suddenly said, no, we're not going to let you take affiliate income from Amazon anymore. But I think there could be other things you could look at. Uh, Maybe other affiliate deals, but it really depends on why can your state not let you get the affiliate income? Is it a state thing or is it just that company in that state Is it only physical products, but you can earn affiliate income off digital products? No, it's a state tax law that's for everything in Amazon. Oh, yeah. It's horrible. And it's actually a really dumb thing. And they're trying to 
there's some people trying to overturn it. But, you know, I look at that as saying you're right about that because, you know, if I'm going to shop somewhere, primarily I'm on Amazon because they have everything and they usually do have the best prices on most of the stuff out there. And so, yeah, I mean, it's hard for me to recommend another company when I know that they're more expensive than Amazon, even though they would be willing to give me an affiliate and Amazon's not able to. That's, I think, where it's very difficult. Uh, And I know a lot of people in the same boat, too. It's not just me. So that's why I've kind of been like, man, I don't know the answer to that, because if you can do Amazon, it really is an awesome thing. Even if you only get that four to six percent commission, obviously you've proven it, Daniel, that it can be done. And I truthfully have not seen any podcasters make as much as you made in December in a month. So that's awesome. Now, can you do other affiliate uh, deals in Colorado or is it just Amazon that you know of that you're not allowed to? It's just Amazon. So I can do other ones. Yes. Okay. Yeah. And so that would be something. And it really depends on the podcaster's state that they're living in and definitely check your state laws and or local laws on that. Yeah. And you know, if you try to go onto Amazon and sign up, once you put in your address, it will tell you, sorry, you can't do this here. So they uh, will actually prevent you from even fulfilling or finishing your, your application anyway. So you don't have to worry. And I know people talk about like ClickBank, Commission Junction. They talk about some of those different companies like that, that are kind of parent companies to a bunch of other companies underneath. I don't know how many people have had success with those or not. I know some people who use them and they might make a few bucks here and there per month, but nothing significant. Pat makes a lot of his income, like you said, from Bluehost because he's developed a special relationship with them. But his philosophy is build relationships with a company and then offer their service or their product alone, which is a little bit more work in the long run. But at the same time, you will make more money probably as well. But in the beginning, a lot of those companies are kind of like, well, again, how many, how many people do you have? What's in it for us kind of thing. So you've got to be, it's almost like a sponsorship when you start working out those special affiliates. Well, maybe that's what you could do is you find another provider and you work out a deal that you say, how about you give me a coupon code that saves people five or 10% or gives them free shipping or something like that a coupon code that people would actually want to use that provides some value. Yeah. And then you give me 5% or whatever you negotiate of whatever sales are made with that coupon. And many stores will be able to track that very easily, even if they don't have an official affiliate program. And if that store is something that could work really well for your audience and provide the products that you might recommend, that can be a great deal for you. Like, what happened with Cliff and Mardell is although they were paying him a flat rate sponsorship, they gave him a promo code and that's how they knew how much income was being generated from his links because they didn't have an affiliate program, Yeah, but they could see how many people were purchasing stuff and that was ever increasing and people are still using the promo codes. So you might be able to work that out with a regional retailer or maybe yeah. even a national retailer to some degree if they can provide something that Amazon won't let you provide. And I like what you're saying there with the the promo codes, because, you know, as a user, if you were to come to me and say, Hey, save, um, you know, an entire month, for example, if it's a a monthly service, sign up here, your first first month is free or sign up here for 50% off or whatever. You know, when you've got some kind of a really nice coupon code offer or a promo code that really draws people in to say, okay, I'll do this. And I think that's kind of the thing. I know some of the affiliates will just say, use this as a link and that's it. And it's kind of like, okay, well, what's, what's the purpose of an end user? What's the draw for them to even do anything with that? 
I do wonder if some of the services out there where they automatically generate an affiliate link for you, then you earn part of that. I wonder if that would be allowed for Amazon.com in that area, because I know there are certain WordPress plugins. I can't remember the name of them, but I've met different teams before, like at New Media Expo, where they have a WordPress plugin that you hover over a product link and it will show you the prices from, for example, from Amazon.com, from B&H mm-hmm. and from Musician's Friend. And if someone clicks on any one of those links, you get a certain affiliate income from that. I wonder if that would also be restricted because you're not the one with the affiliate account. That company is, and that company is sharing their profit with you because they're the ones making the money from the Amazon affiliate deal. And then they pass on a portion of that to you. That I wonder is a about great that. question. I'm not sure. Cause yeah, I, you know, that's like going through the commission junction route, for example. Right. Hmm. Okay. There are a lot of products that I have used and I'm real like, for example, I love Bluehost. I'm very excited about it. I do have an affiliate commission with them of affiliate link. Some of them already have affiliate, you know, opportunities, but some of them I'm not sure about. And I actually like to go and find out if they do and, or set something up, you know, because I think there are some fantastic products and services out there. I use them. I like them. I would like to recommend them. But at the same time, you know, it's got to be a value and a benefit. And it, you know, ideally is relevant to the topic of that day's episode as well. There's a company right now that I'm talking to that I use their product and I contacted them and I said, I love this product. Do you have any plans for an affiliate program? Because I would love, already I would love to promote this, but I'd also love to be able to promote this and have an affiliate program, especially if I could offer some kind of coupon code because your product never goes on sale. (laughs) Yeah. And they are very interested in that and they are working on it. And that was an awesome thing to work out. So it's a shared promo code affiliate link sort of thing. That's great. Now, one thing I'll say is that it seems to me like affiliates are getting a little bit more protective and they're starting to make the barrier to entry a little bit tougher now. I don't know if if that's holding true for you too, but I've noticed that that, um, a lot of people that I know who have started to look into affiliates are starting to meet some resistance. Kind of like, okay, well now everybody wants an affiliate. so. There's more of an application process than it used to be. Right. And the most important thing I think is for you to describe, if there's a place where you can leave a comment, make sure you describe how you're going to promote this and why you think it's going to be a good fit. And hey, this is great practice for getting a sponsor too. Yeah. But when it comes to when I try to get affiliate links for the Audacity podcast, I often find that. So I explain, I think podcasters will love this. I have this show. You can see some of the other episodes I've created about this and some of the content I've created. I think that this will be some great uh, link promotion for you in some upcoming topics that I might cover with these things. So that kind of thing that you're then making yourself more of a potential candidate than just someone who wants to basically spam YouTube with a bunch of videos just because they're going to get a high payout from an affiliate deal. Yeah, that's true. There's really two key factors here, but the, the main thing is really providing value you know, Pat provided value over and over and over and over and over and over and over. And finally people said, okay, I want to give back to Pat and I'll use his affiliate links. And I know people were doing it anyway, but I think there's been more of a desire to use his affiliate links because of the free value that he's put out for us. But you did the exact same thing this, you know, this last month in December was providing exceptional value. Here's what I'm using. Here's what I love about it. And by the way, here are some sales. Go check it out if you'd like. And yeah. so you provided value and yeah, you were expecting to make some money off of it, but I, I, were you expecting $1,200? Uh, 
No, I had no idea what would come from this. And the biggest mistake I made was I used my regular Amazon tracking ID for the Audacity to podcast. I have a separate tracking ID for every podcast. And that's a big thing I recommend. Any affiliate link you use, if you have separate podcasts or separate sites, try to use a separate tracking ID for each of them that all contributes to your same account. But that way you can see how each one performs. But my big regret is I didn't make a separate tracking ID just for the Black Friday, Cyber Monday, Christmas sales, that would have been great for me to see, okay, this is exactly how much income this thing generated. And is it worth doing this again next year? Nice. So now one thing that I I have heard is that some people love affiliates and others hate it. And other people have talked about, you know, forget the affiliates. I don't want just a a four to 6% commission. I, I want to, you know, I want to resell the products myself, drop ship them, whatever it is. And, and this is a very difficult thing to do, but I have heard of people who make exceptional amounts of money doing this. And I interviewed Gary Leland on ProfitCast. And if you're listening to ProfitCast, you, you do know that interview. And I know the guy's made a full-time living doing this whole thing. And he's made great money doing this. And so, but he's got his own storefront. He's got online stores. But the idea is, is that you're buying at wholesale and turning around and selling at uh, retail. Yeah, and I think that's a great idea. In fact, I'm working toward that because I looked at my Amazon affiliate report from last year and I was shocked by how much money Amazon was making from oh, me, yeah. basically. Yeah. Because if I look at this right now, I'll look at just uh, for the year 2014 on Amazon. It's taken a very long time to load because it's a lot of items that have been loaded, purchased. <laughs> but on Amazon, it's over $80,000 to Amazon. That is wow. not to me, yeah. but over $80,000 to Amazon. And I'm getting four to 6% of that. And there are a lot of products that are repeat products, like certain headphones or certain microphones, certain audio gear and such. And some of them are bigger ticket items, like maybe four or $500 or maybe $1,000 in equipment that I've recommended for someone based on their needs. And I realized I'm getting four to 6% of this. Yeah. I am an authority in this space. So people are trusting what I recommend. So how about instead of taking that four to 6%, how about I try to become an equipment reseller and bump up that earnings to 20% or 30% or maybe even more than that. And so I am working to do that in 2015 because I can earn much more that way and still do practically the same amount of work if I'm drop shipping it. Yeah, that's true. And you know, this is a very difficult thing to get into because I think there is definitely a learning curve understanding the products you're getting. And I have also, when I've done some of the research too, I've found that, you know, if you're going to be reselling brand name products. So for example, if you and I wanted to put our Heil microphones up for sale, we go to Heil and we say, Hey, sell them to us wholesale. We'll sell them retail. You're going to be competing with companies like Amazon because they can get a lower price because they're going to be able to buy more of them. And so you may run into a significantly lower product just simply because people can beat your price. And so it it kind of depends on how you're going to do it. I mean, if you're just doing it to your listener community and they're willing to support you and they realize, okay, you know, maybe the Heil mic's an additional $50 or $25 or whatever on top of the price. If I bought it at Amazon, some of them might be nice enough to go ahead and buy from you as a support to you. But some of the people are going to say, forget it. I'm going to Amazon because it's cheaper. Yeah. Well, the other thing you can consider is providing more value 
with that product. So for oh, example, yes. one of the things I'm going to do, I'll give you everyone here a preview because nice. I'm going to get more into equipment sales and I'm working very hard on launching this with the Audacity to Podcast. Many products are entered into there, but I'll have certain packages. So right there, that's a great value. It's a package that yes. this is everything you need for your podcast, or you can maybe tweak this package a little bit. Cliff Ravenscraft has had huge success with this to the point that his provider now just has a box, which is the podcast answer man <laughs> box. Awesome. And all they do is just slap a label on it. And everything that Cliff is selling is in that box already prepackaged, ready to go. And he's had huge success with that. I'm going to do something similar where it's the convenience of it. You don't have to go around, figure out what cables do I need and all of that. But even more value than that, simply packaging things together would be the value of putting something extra in it. So for my upcoming products that I'll be selling or reselling, certain of those products will have extra training with them. Like you purchase a mixer from me and you will get included for free a how to use a mixer video. Or if you purchase a complete kit, then you'll get a video on how you connect all of these things together and how you set your computer up to work with all of this equipment. So that kind of thing, providing extra value that people might otherwise pay a couple hundred dollars for one-on-one consulting to try and learn that. And here you could spend some time, make a video or a PDF, or even in something as simple as a wiring diagram, something easy for people. You could make that, package that with it. And that's something that's extra value to those people. So they might not mind paying either the same price or maybe a little bit more for shipping or tax, or maybe a little bit more retail price to purchase from you instead of the other retailer. See, and I like that because you're right. That's really a a fantastic way of being able to have that price that you have, you know, while you're still getting the percentage that you need and, and any podcaster can do this, but you're right. You're providing extra value for the end user which is fantastic. And you're right. Most people will buy equipment and then go, I don't know how to, how to work this or how to set this up. I, I mean, I can't tell you how many times I heard that the Behringer MDX 4,600. I had 10 podcasters come to me and say, why do you sound so good? And that was one of the pieces of equipment that I recommended. Almost everyone of them got out there, bought it. And then they went, how do I use it? <laughs> I did not have a, a setup like, like, you know, for an affiliate for that. I didn't have a package or a retail or anything like that. And now I'm going back and kicking myself saying, dang it, I could have done that. And I could have provided them value and answers to their questions. It is complicated to get this set up though, because there are certain things like you might need a sales tax ID. You might need to collect sales tax, report that. Your website might need a security certificate or, well, it does need a security certificate if you're going to accept credit card payments right on your website, which I do recommend. I don't like services like eJunkie. Actually, let me change that. I hate (laughs) e-junkie. There are other services that are much better in in design and integration than e-junkie, but you need to consider that and what kind of expenses there would be to some of that and recognize that that's going to eat from your profits a little bit. And yes, receiving payments like from PayPal or credit cards are going to take about 3% or so. And you need a store software like WooCommerce or easy digital downloads in order to be able to sell all this stuff. And something maybe that's either automated or you have a good workflow for when you receive this order, how do you then pass that on to your distributor to do what's called drop shipping, which is where you send the order to them, they charge your credit card, but then they ship that product or products 
straight to your customer and yeah. it's often white labeled. So it, it doesn't include your providers or distributors branding on it. It just is from shipping depot or something like that. And someone sure. opens it up and they find the Heil microphones or whatever they purchased. Sure. So now are you going straight to the actual manufacturers or are you going to companies like BNH or, you know, musician's friend or something like that? How, what, you know, what are you doing? What do you recommend on that? You really have to look around at who offers any kind of reseller program. Sometimes the manufacturers will not work with a small independent person. Yeah. Uh, there's a company right now that I am trying very hard to do it. And they're very selective, even on the big name retailers, they're very selective on what companies will sell their products. It's a tricky thing. It might be a case where you're just not going to be able to sell it. Or maybe you, if you want to take this risk, maybe you could try to find out if you could purchase several, but for yourself, but then you're running into having to stock and ship it yourself. Yeah. And you might not want to get into that. That starts getting expensive and complicated. Right. You're going to the middleman company versus the manufacturers right now just because of right. of, of the size of, of where you're at, where we're at, that kind of thing like that. But ideally, the manufacturer is the place to get to. Ideally, but really for us mere mortals, it's probably not <laughs> even an option. So you're going to have to probably contact the manufacturer and ask them, who are your reseller distributors that I can work with? Ah, I like that. Okay. And they might give you a list then. or if there's a certain genre of products, just enter into Google that genre or the type of product and add something like distributor onto it or wholesale distributor, something like that. And go through the sites, find out if they have any kind of reseller program. But one way I think that's, that's a little bit, well, I'll say this, this is where you can get a hundred percent of the profits, but it's going to take a little bit more time and work and you've got to be able to deliver value. And that is products. Making your own. Yes. I think this can be one of those things that as you combine this with affiliates, like I mentioned, make something extra valuable to package along with either if someone purchases through your affiliate link or if you're drop shipping something yourself, you're providing something of extra value. That might be a product that you could create. Like my how to use a mixer course could be something I could sell completely independent. So someone who already has a mixer could purchase that as a digital product. Mm -hmm. And I like that. It's a great idea to have that as an a la carte option, but also packaged in with the equipment that you're selling. But I mean, this can include eBooks. This can include audio trainings, video trainings, actual course, like Academy kind of style things where you've got different modules where people are going through an entire complete course training. You know, there's so many different things that products and courses can do. And the beautiful, beautiful thing about doing digital products is that it depends on you're an expert in something. You get out there, you share your expertise with people and you sell it and you've made a full profit. Yes. You've put in the time you put in the effort. There's definitely going to be some cost there, but the reality is, is that no one, well, so here's one thing that I love about digital products, information products. People will try to knock off actual products. So like if you were going to go create a better version of the Heil, let's just say that. And you're like, I'm not going to sell the Heil. I'm going to create a better version. Well, that's nice and all that, but it's easy for somebody to go in there and and knock off a better version of your Heil, if that makes sense. Whereas a lot of companies won't waste the time trying to copy your information. You know, you're an expert in something for a reason and you've got your own personal twist on it, your own personal strengths, et cetera. 
And so what you're teaching, most people can't replicate that easily, or they won't take the time to replicate it that easily. And so that allows you to be more unique and more successful with your own product and your own course. If you want some ideas for products you could create, even if you're just a hobbyist podcaster, then I just did an episode about this at the com slash product ideas and shared some different ideas for both digital and even physical products mm-hmm. you could create to sell even if it's just a matter of giving people a way to represent their love for your podcast. Yeah. And, but that's, again, that's going unique. So even though, you know, like you're saying the represent side of things, let's say that's, that's t-shirts and apparel, it's still your own branding because it's your own podcast, your own logo, all that. And so there you go. You know, people don't knock that off because it's your own thing. Yeah, exactly. If they do try and knock it off, you've got a legal issue and you are on the high side. (laughs) I think that's great. The product course creation, it seems like a lot of people are starting to do that right now. And, um, you know, I learned a lot of my background with product and course creation with uh, Jason and Jeremy from Internet Business Mastery. And those guys have really mastered that stuff. They are awesome at that. I know that they have had tremendous success and each of them has made over seven figures a year kind of doing that stuff. And so they've proven that this is an extremely successful model. Um, the one thing that I'll caution about any product creation First of all, a lot of people are doing it right now, and I I wouldn't say that it's saturated, but the caution I have is don't be annoying because so many people are out there promoting their products, but they're over promoting them. And it's getting to the point where it's like, you know, one to 10 emails a day. And you're like, okay, enough. Like I I see you're there. I know your products there, but that's enough. Like now I'm, I want to unsubscribe. So there's definitely something to be said about being respectful of, of your listeners when you're doing stuff like this. And also make sure that you are going to deliver on your product. I have, I have done products in the past that say, this is what you're going to get. And then you get in there and it starts off well, and then it ends poorly, you yeah. know? And so be very careful that you're delivering what you promise or else you're going to upset people over deliver. That's a decision I wrestled with recently with my SEO for podcasters course, because I originally announced a particular launch date and the more I was producing the course, the bigger it was actually getting. And I realized I am not going to hit this launch date. There's no way I could finish that. So what I decided to do is instead of telling everyone, hey, I'm sorry, I need to postpone the launch date. You'll get everything later on. What I decided to do is give them what I could give them when I said I would give them something. So I'm delivering the sessions to them as they're completed. So those who pre-ordered are getting those sessions starting on that date that they expected. But then I shifted the public launch date farther out so that anyone else who purchases will just be able to purchase and receive everything all at once. When you're creating a product or a course or a video or whatever, would you agree that if you know exactly what to say, then that means you've got something good, get out there, make it happen, deliver value. But if you're struggling with, if you're kind of like, man, I'm not sure how to get started here, or maybe I know how to get started, but I'm not really quite sure how to finish this, or I'm just really struggling putting this thing out. I'm not quite sure if this is going to deliver the value that I want, but I think it will. I'm just, you know, if you're doubting yourself, granted, that could just be a confidence issue, but would you say that that's maybe something to put on hold and say, re-examine that, make sure that you're real. Because again, it goes back to the whole thing of some products Overpromise, underdeliver, and others over deliver and underpromise. I'm just curious to know what your thoughts are on that. Making sure you really know your stuff first. I think, especially for your first product, there is going to be that kind of fear. 
to some degree, you just have to work through that and believe that you can accomplish this. You can make something great. But if it is a realistic concern that, whoa, this is much bigger than I thought it was. There's no way I can make this deadline or no way I could complete this product right now. Yes, put that on hold. Do something else. Get some momentum going behind you. Like Cliff Ravenscraft has a bunch of products and video training courses out there and a complete course too. And he got his start by making one training product at a time. It was a short training product. Then he made another one that was longer, then more products and more and more. And then eventually he launched a complete course. And so he grew into these things. And that's the best way to go about this, I think, is get some momentum, yeah. especially the the psychological side of it is when you make those first few dollars, when you're asleep and you yeah. wake up and discover, oh, I made $5 while I was asleep. That is so empowering that that gives you more momentum to then step it up and make something bigger the next time. So you can work up to those big ideas, start out with something small. And also that helps you build your reputation too, because people aren't going to buy a $1,000 product from you if they've never seen any other product from you before. Yeah, I agree with that. And you know, I, I love that one product at a time approach. And then also, I think it's really important too, to be able to give people options. I was reading the 80-20 sales and marketing book by Perry Marshall. And one of the things he talks about is, yeah, you know, 80% of your, we're going to use listeners in this sense, 80% of your listeners are either going to spend nothing or they're only going to spend a little bit of money. Whereas the 20% are actually going to account for 80% of your income. And so having some kind of an entry level product, and this is where, you know, there's the recommendations of having an ebook. You know, somewhere between three and ten dollars for an entry level ebook, short ebook, but that's an easy price for most people to pay. And it gives them something to get started, to test you out, see what they like. Then you've got, you know, your options of audio and video trainings that might be a little bit more. But then, you know, like you were talking about with, with Cliff, that's when you've got your entire course, you know, where he's got his podcasting A to Z course, and that's that's a sizable investment, but you're going to get what you pay for too. And so having those different options for people allows a far greater investment basically from, from your listeners as well. Because if you just have like one $2,000 course, only a handful of the people can even afford that kind of a thing. And so having options for all of the others as well is a really, really great idea for, for having that sales funnel, if you want to call it that as well. And here's another thing I'm going to say about products and courses. This is something that I think a lot of podcasters and, and business people in general fail on is they might have a fantastic product. In fact, like so good that you're like, why aren't people buying this? The, the tendency is, is that you have no reason for anyone to get to that product. You're not driving them to that product. You're not funneling them to even know that that product exists. You don't show them, you know, the benefits of that product and kind of the whole why they have to have that product. And so I think that's a very common mistake that most people make is, is they create a product, but there's no funnel to have somebody want to buy that product. And that's a, that's a whole nother thing in general, but that's a very important thing. I think. Who consider. are some of the podcasters that you see really knocking this out of the park? I, you know, I say Jason and Jeremy again, because, um, you know, with their internet business mastery, they, they have a few videos out there that show here's, here's some value right now. Like here's the three minute is it three minute money test? I believe is what it is. It's a three minute video on how to determine whether or not your niche, your topic is a potentially profitable topic. 
and they give you just enough information to know whether or not you're on the right track. And then they say, and if you'd like more information, here's our $7 ebook, which actually goes through step-by-step details, how to find a profitable niche. And you pay $7, you get their ebook. And by the time you're done with that ebook, you should have a profitable niche. And if that's your podcast topic, et cetera, you know exactly what you're going to do. Well, then it goes on and they, they share Pat Flynn's story because Pat was actually one of their coaching students many years ago. And the reason Pat is so successful today is because they followed their teachings. Uh, he followed their teachings. And so they, they share his story. They share how he did it. And then they share, well, here's our coaching. And so for them, they, in, in my opinion, they have some of the best funnel strategies I've ever seen. I know um, John, John Dumas is doing quite a bit of this now where he's got his free webinars where he'll deliver an hour of value and then say, and if you want more, here's podcasters paradise. And so by the time people are done with that webinar, it's like, I've got to spend the money to be a part of podcasters paradise, you know? And so it's, it's delivering actual tangible value, teaching them something that they're actually going to get out of it for free. But then at the end, it's like people have to buy it. They have to have it. I would guess that any podcaster who does not have a massive audience, and I'm talking like over 100,000 or maybe even over 50,000, but any podcaster who's really making their living because of their podcast is doing it because they're selling some kind of product or course, something outside their podcast, but that their podcast is promoting. Like Michael Hyatt, Mm -hmm. yes, has a hugely popular podcast, but he's making his money from the products or courses that he creates, Lou Mangiello, Many other podcasters are making their money from their own products and courses. Yeah. And you know what I've heard about that is that it's easier to do that. It's easier to coach somebody and teach somebody how to do something around your podcast topic than it is to get a sponsor to really pay the bills because you can make far more money with product and course creation and eBooks and coaching and that kind of thing than, well, I mean, John Dumas, you talked about this. He made 60,000 for the month of December for 31 episodes. So it was about 1900 per episode. But, you know, some of these guys are making far more money on their product and courses per episode of their podcast. Yeah. Again, because they're, they're getting more, more percentage, more profit. For that same month of December for John, Podcasters Paradise made $200,000. Yeah. I'm throwing coaching into this because I really believe that coaching is also, it's like product and service, but it's the same kind of thing. So like a product a video training is showing somebody how to do something and coaching is showing how somebody how to do something as well. And so I'm including that in, in there as well, because many of us, I would say each and every one of us is an expert in something and that's up to us to decide what it is and what we can offer as far as value. But being able to, you know, deliver coaching and offer coaching for somebody is huge because I mentioned earlier, the one size fits all doesn't work for everybody. I'm a perfect example. When I was in my undergrad and college, I worked my butt off, but I got a 2.3 grade average because I was in big classes, lecture format, group settings. I didn't do well. But when I did my master's, which was, you know, 10 times the work, it was an easy 3.9 GPA because it was more one-on-one. It was more applicable. I had actual coaching. And that's how I learn best. And so many of us really do need coaching. And, you know, I know John Dumas attributes most of his launch success to his coaching with Jamie Tardy. And so, uh, you know, it's something that I believe is a huge investment. And I think it's something that each and every one of us can do, depending on where our expertise lies. People love coaching. They need it. And 
understand your value. You can charge for it. You can charge a good amount of money for it because it's your time, because of the amount of expertise you have, the time you put into it, the investment you put into it. Maybe you've done your own coaching over the years. Think about the amount of time and money that you put into your own learning. That's valuable. You know, when I look back, I'm a pianist. I've played piano for 30 years and I have done countless years of piano lessons and coaching. And I did a music minor, you know, in college and the amount of money and time that I've put into learning how to play the piano is astronomical. And I look back on that and, and, you know, I taught students a long time ago. I'm, I'm not the best piano teacher by any means, you know, when it comes to that, I just like to perform, but you know, a lot of times people would come to me and say, how do I sound like you tomorrow? And I'd be like, uh, yeah, no, that's not going to happen. But a one-on-one coaching kind of thing is really the best way to learn when it comes to anything. You'll also hear many podcasters say that coaching is not passive income. It's not scalable. And so many of the bigger podcasters who are successful have actually dropped one-on-one coaching and now they're going to either group coaching or they're going to that passive income of affiliates or product sales or the actual video trainings and that kind of thing too, where it's you create it once and then the purchases come after that. So I get that coaching is definitely a dollar for hour kind of option, but it's still a valuable option. And it's something you can work up to in your value. Like when I first started consulting, I knew that my value wasn't as high as others out there. And my experience wasn't as good. My reputation wasn't as good when I first started. And so I had a lower value. And then as my experience grew, as my reputation grew, as my calendar was filling up more and more, I could raise my price. I still occasionally get an email where someone will say, what, you charge that much? I don't pay my lawyer that much. (laughs) And I... There are different responses I might have, but basically what I can think in my mind is, yeah, there are thousands of lawyers in the United States. How many people are there in the United States who know how to do this thing you want me to show you how to do Yeah, and who have done it, who know how to teach it? That's very important to know how to teach it, not just know how to do it. I and agree. are available and have this vast experience that you need, that kind of thing. And so you might be that person for someone else that there might only be five people in the world that do or know this thing as well as you do, can you teach it in a one-on-one setting in a personal way? Let me ask you this. You know, you've got the different strengths and talents of each person. And so, you know, some people are teachers and then there are the others that are not teachers. So for the people who are not teachers, do you think that you know, for example, creating a product and a course and doing the coaching or the teaching or the consulting or the mentoring, however you want to call it. What do you think? Do you think teaching, coaching, all this product creation is a good idea for every single podcaster out there? It could be, maybe. I, I can't just make a blanket statement, but there might be those people like you're saying that aren't good at teaching. You're really good at what you do. You're mm-hmm. just not good at teaching. Yeah. Maybe that's where you could provide a service where you do that thing. For someone, they pay you maybe a flat rate. It really doesn't matter how long it takes you to do it. It might take you three hours. It might take you 30 minutes. But what is the value that you're providing to that person? You might be saving that person five hours of trying to figure this out very badly on their own. And you can do it for them. And you don't tell them, yeah, it will take me just 20 minutes to do that for you. You can say, yeah, I can fix this for you. 
I'll have it done by the end of today or the end of this week. And it costs this much. Sure. And that person can realize, yeah, that's a lot of value to me. So you're not teaching them how to do it. You're doing it for them. Then that's something that can really help if you're not good at teaching yet. Product and course creation is awesome. Coaching is awesome. Teaching is awesome. But figure out where your strengths lie and how best you can deliver that value. Yeah. And now these first things that we've been talking about here have been things where people need something and they can go pick it up. They can buy it through an affiliate link, buy it from you, get a service or coaching from you. The last two things we've got here to talk about donations and premium content really depend a lot on how engaged your audience is and how passionate they are about their connection with you. Let's talk about donations. What are some of the podcasts that you see really succeeding with donations? Well, so are we going to be including Patreon and stuff like that in here? Yeah, I think I would call Patreon, Joyride, and services like that. I would call those a donation service because that's really what people are doing is they're donating whatever amount to a podcast or a podcaster. Sure. So, you know, there's crowdfunding, donations kind of stuff. And the only reason I wanted to separate that is because nonprofits technically are donations, whereas for-profits are more crowdfunding and stuff. But um, not to confuse things, but just to make sure that there is a an understanding on that. But yeah, so when it comes to people who give money to you, you wrote this down, but I was just thinking about him as Rob Sesternino. I know Rob a little bit, but I have heard so much about how successful he's been with Patreon, for example, and where he's made pretty much his entire, uh, or at least most of his, his living through his Patreon account with his podcast. I mean, am I right about this? Yeah, he is currently making $6,100 per month wow. through Patreon. That's amazing. You know what's really awesome about Rob is he is a multi-time podcast award winner. He has this massive following. He is a celebrity. He's been on reality TV before, but he is not at all in your face. Yeah. I would say he is probably the most humble, famous podcaster I know. (laughs) He is incredibly personal. Yeah, he's a cool guy. And it really seems like he's there to help, to serve, to have fun with you and with us and not there just to make money, but he's making huge amounts of money from just basically donations, people mm. giving him money because they appreciate the content that he's providing. Yeah, that's huge. And you know, that's actually something that I was looking into as well, because one of the things I love to do is just get behind the mic and go for it. And I'm going to use the word perform. And I don't mean that in a prima donna you know, sort of way, but I mean, you know, when you're behind the microphone, you are performing and being able to deliver the valuable content and service that you're doing with your podcast, sometimes wouldn't it just be nice to be able to do that and then be able to make your money through something like Patreon? Wouldn't that just be wonderful? It would give you so much more time to focus on your content and your relationships. Yeah. A lot of people are succeeding with this. And what's great with this is if you can help people feel like they're part of this, that's why a lot of people do this. They're grateful for this thing that you do. And they want to feel like they're part of it. So give them the shout outs, give them the stickers or the cards or something like that. Recognize them, thank them because they're doing this not because they have to or because they need anything. They're doing this because they want to. Yeah, very, very true. And I know Cliff's been doing some stuff with Patreon. He's been experimenting with that recently. He's making some decent headway with pursuing a balanced life, right? 
Right. That's now his only show that he has on Patreon. He decided yeah. to focus there on the one show. The numbers will continue to rise, no doubt, but he started out with quickly getting some nice supporters and some people instantly wanting to say, I want to give you $20 a month or $20 per episode or something like that. Very high. And I see the same thing with my own podcast, my Once Upon a Time podcast. We have a couple donators who donate $50 per month for a free podcast about a free TV show. <laughs> awesome. They've over time, they've given us hundreds of dollars just because they enjoy the content. They enjoy the community. And we are very grateful for those people. That's neat. And you are providing value for them because, you know, I love, I love the TV show side of things. It's like people come in because it's a common interest. They want to feel like they're part of a community and they want to have a voice to express with their thoughts. And, you know, oh my gosh, this episode was incredible. And can you believe this? And, you know, so I, I really do believe that, that in many ways we are solving a pain with TV show podcasts, providing value that others aren't. And so it is cool. And I, I think that's awesome. And you know that the people that are giving back to you, you know, to you and your once podcast is because like you said, they love you and they feel like they're a part of something bigger. This is a great example of like pursuing a balanced life. I, I don't know the exact number of what he's bringing in for that. I can't remember what it was, but it's decent. But he mentioned that he had had podcast answer man on Patreon as well. And last I heard he was making about $42 an episode answer to the universe. But on the other hand, what he had mentioned on ProfitCast is that through his products and coaching and everything that he's doing, he's bringing in approximately 26 to 58,000 a month with that for podcast answer, man. So $42, you know, an episode times four or 26 to $58,000 a month. That's a big deal, right? So, so knowing again, what works for which audience and, and which topic and everything else is very important. And so that's why I wanted to bring that one up. Yeah. It's the same thing, like comparing sponsors to other things. Do you really want to have a sponsor for your show so you can make an extra $50 per month? If you could make your own product and make $200 a month yeah. and then not work as hard for every episode and not inconvenience people or provide something that people will feel more grateful for and more connection with because it's more of something from you. Yeah, exactly. And you look at someone like Tom Merritt and on Patreon, Tom Merritt is making almost $20,000 a month <laughs> just from the donations. And that's almost 5,000 people donating at the time of this recording. And that's continually going up. That's amazing. And, and the thing is, is these guys are proving it can work because I think I know people who have tried the donation side of things and even some of them who have tried the Patreon side of things. And let's just say they're not happy with the results. So what, what do people need to be doing in order to really maximize donations on Patreon? For one thing, you need to present logical, easy levels from which to choose, like a dollar a month, $5 a month, $10, something that's affordable for people or per episode, and really communicate what value it is that they're getting and offer some kind of bonus. Maybe yeah. it's as simple as, hey, we're going to do a shout out in every episode and thank you for this. Maybe it's, we will read a message from you in our podcast. And many people will use that for an opportunity just to maybe mention their blog or to share a love letter with their special someone who's also listening to the podcast or something like that. Yeah. It could be that they just want to support you and want to represent in some way. So you're sending buttons or cards or a t-shirt to your supporters, something like that. 
but some way that you're giving back to them extra because they're giving back to you, especially as people are looking at your different levels at which they can donate. They might see, yeah, I'm interested in donating a dollar a month, but oh, if I donate $5 a month, I get that really cool looking thing or I get special access to this really cool stuff or this extra content or something like that, something that entices them to want to be part of it instead of just a simple dollar difference. I, and I like the idea of maybe going and looking at Rob's Patreon and looking at Tom Merritt's Patreon and saying, here's what these guys are doing. Follow their example of what they're offering for, you know, like look at the numbers. What are they offering for different donations and all that? And then what do they get for that? So use those as an example to get started. Right. Just browse several of the podcasts or different things, not even podcasts, but different things on Patreon and see what's working for people. What are others doing? Yes, a lot of this does still tie in with how large your audience is because only a certain percentage of your audience will give back. But I would say that a larger percentage of your audience is interested in giving back than zero. Yeah, that's true. So one of the last things here we're going to talk about, this this is the last thing we have. I know there's other options, but premium content is something that I've heard about over the years. I think it was a little more popular back, I don't know, maybe years ago. I don't see as many people doing it nowadays, but it is still a wonderful option. And what that means is that, you know, your podcast, of course, is generally free, but you might have additional content that is behind what we call a paywall. And so that's basically where people would pay a monthly subscription or maybe a flat rate, depends on, on how you want to set that up. And they can get access to bonus material. They can get access to maybe other podcasts that you have created, but you don't want to release for free. Um, maybe it's a longer version of your podcast. Maybe your podcast, you really want to keep it to a 15 to 30 minute thing for the free side of things. But maybe you did a two hour interview with somebody that people can, again, get a subscribed premium side of things. And so one of the examples that I've seen that has done this very well is a podcast called Keith and the Girl. I know I don't listen to these guys. I don't know much about them, truthfully. So I have no idea how much they make or anything like that. But I do know that they went out there, they did a comedy podcast, and they generated a huge loyal following of people. And they developed relationships and they, you know, with these people, had a great time, and then started to offer a premium content sort of things. They call it their VIP and they've got monthly, they've got, you know, pay the entire year at this price. So they've got these different options. And with that, they get additional content, additional podcasts. From what I understand, they're doing really well with this. Not only are they making a full-time living each, but it's a really good living. It's definitely an option that works. And there are some podcasts like, I think some of the NPR shows and certainly many of the popular comedy podcasts do this where they sell their back catalog. You can get their latest couple or a few episodes for free. But if you want to listen to any of the older episodes, then you subscribe or you purchase individual episodes or packs of episodes, something like that. And that can be another great way to do it. But again, this depends really on how loyal is your audience and what kind of extra value are you providing? I don't recommend that you just suddenly decide, okay, I'm going to package my first 100 episodes and not make those publicly available and sell them. It really depends on, I think, what the purpose of your podcast is. If, Like for the Audacity to Podcast, if I packaged my first 100 episodes and tried to sell those, it wouldn't do so well because those episodes are actually helping market everything else I do. 
So that's limiting my market footprint out yeah. there by putting those behind a paywall. But you could do something where maybe you have bonus episodes like a after show or something else funny or extra valuable that you do as creating some extra content. And it doesn't have to be elaborate. It could be if you're making a lot of money from it and the more money you make from it, the more time you'll have to be able to put into something like this. Yeah. So here's an example. Um, tell me what you think about this because we were both on TV talk and um, you know, when TV talk shut down, I was given permission to take our TV talk arrow show and continue to roll with it. And so we, we changed the name to arrow squad. We continued on and we've kept the legacy going on this one. I still have all of the original podcast episodes from our TV talk uh, arrow season two. So if I were to go back and remove all of the TV talk branding out of that, the content's still the same. I mean, the content, we wouldn't have to re-record the content. We would just take out, you know, any of the branding that would cause any problems and then just kind of re-record the branding with Aero Squad. But that content is not available to anybody. And right now, the only person that has it is me. You know, just as an example, that is some content that we could potentially put behind premium content, a paywall, that kind of thing that people, if they wanted to, they could go back and, and hear that stuff. Would you agree with something like that? Or, or is that a good idea, a bad idea? I'm just trying to come up with an example here. <laughs> yeah, it's tough because it does depend on your audience and how passionate they are about your content and your approach to that content. And how likely are they going to be to pay for more of that? Sure. That's the, I think the question you have to ask is, is my content worth paying for? People may pay for it in donations, and that's a form of gratefulness. But when you talk about giving them content in exchange for money, you're selling them your content. And is it worth paying for? If it's great content, if you know your audience would love it, sure, go ahead and sell it. If it's something like with a TV show, fan podcast, that's a little more difficult because that is somewhat time-based. But maybe you could go back and expand those episodes. So at the end sure. of those things, because I know with TV Talk, which was this whole network of shows about TV shows, very short form podcasts and shows about the TV shows, like 15 to 20 minutes or so per episode, you could go back to those episodes and in each one of them do something like, this was a short overview and discussion of this episode, but if you want a full discussion, then purchase this or subscribe to mm -hmm. this, and then you go back and create extra content that's an expanded version of that. So that does still mean making more content than just selling your archive. It's really an it depends and know your audience and your approach to content kind of thing with this. So that's a really good point too. I, I like what you said there. And, and you know, even just looking back at like Keith and the girl, they've been podcasting since 2005. So I know that the free content only goes back so far, but if you want you know, the more than 2000 episodes that date all the way back to 2005, that's part of their VIP premium content. But they also give you uh, somewhere around 10 or more shows, actual additional podcasts that are only available with VIP membership. You can't get them for free. So yeah, I mean, that kind of goes back to is, is your podcast something people want to pay for, but also are you actually giving additional content that people will find value in and that kind of thing too. So that's just an example right there. Yeah. And you don't want to alienate the people who are getting your free content, like yeah. maybe giving them a cutoff 
answer from your guest that you're interviewing or something like that. You want to give them more, yeah. not really restricting what they can do with your free content. And it does still depend on your approach to this, but that's the approach I recommend because if you are cutting them off, then I think they might be more annoyed and less likely to purchase. But if you're giving them great value and then enticing them with how much more value is available in your premium content, then they feel like, yes, I got some great stuff. I really, really want more though. Mm -hmm. And then they have an option to get that more. That's a good point because one of the things I was toying around with with ProfitCast is that, you know, I could easily have one to two hour interview conversations with every single person that I interviewed, depending on their time, just because there was so much to talk about. And my goal was to keep ProfitCast at 30 minutes, which I failed at that too many times now. So, you know, but the idea was, okay, 30 minutes show, that's it. But then what I could do is offer the one to two hour full discussion as premium content. And I did survey some people on that and I got that exact same response. People would be annoyed and hate me for it. (laughs) And I thought, okay, so that's not a good idea. (laughs) Yeah. Surveying your audience really with all of these things that we talked about, a lot comes back to what is your audience interested in? And if you can survey them or ask them to provide their feedback, that would be great. You can ask them, are there things you wish I did to make money or are there things that you would be willing to pay for? Do you wish you had the opportunity to donate? Do you wish that I provided more content? Would you be willing to pay for more content? Do you purchase products through particular places and wish that you could support me at the same time that you're purchasing these products? Those kinds of things. Ask your audience, really, Mm. what are they willing to do and how can you provide value to them in any case? Yeah. That's really going to tell you what they're going to do, what they're going to buy and what they're going to support. If they're not willing to support your idea just because you think it's a good idea, then it's not a good idea. So speaking of trying to keep ProfitCast to 30 minutes, this is by far the longest episode I've ever done, (laughs) but this was fun. I really enjoyed this. Like we really got into some depth that I've never done before on an episode and appreciate it. So if you out there want the extra five hours of our conversation, (laughs) then purchase that For only $9.97.97. Oh, man. This was a lot of fun, though, Daniel. I appreciate this. I want to do this again. This is almost a great idea. Yeah. Yeah. I hope you enjoyed it, too, and it delivered value to the Audacity podcast. But I really appreciate you taking the time, man. Wow. That was some amazing content. If you are still here and listening, you are a trooper. Here's what I'd love for you to do tweet at the ramen noodle and at I am the real Brian to let us know that you made it all the way through the end of the episode and comment on the show notes on my website over at the audacity to podcast.com slash 206. And I'll have the link to Brian's copy of the show also there in the show notes. So you can comment on both places or one or the other. And I'll be looking at the conversation in both places as well. Because we covered a lot of things, we would really like to know what resonated with you and what your experience has been with some of these things or what other examples you see of other podcasters succeeding with any of these things. Please comment on the show notes on either of our sites and you can get the links in the show notes for this episode at theaudacitypodcast.com slash 206. I mentioned in the episode SEO for podcasters that is now available. The videos are still processing and uploading, but the course is now available. That's over six hours already available to learn about search engine optimization for podcasters. Check that out on the website, theaudacitypodcast.com. 
The last thing I want to ask you to do is please sign up to help support Noodle Mix Network in the podcast awards. That's at theaudacitypodcast.com slash podcast awards. We've got several shows in the network that we'd love to be nominated. And keep in mind, you can only nominate once during the nomination window. So get all of your nominations together and put them in all at once. Go to the audacitytopodcast.com slash podcast awards to learn how you can support our network of shows and the Audacity to Podcast. I'd love to work with you to help you succeed in podcasting. Please email me feedback at the audacitytopodcast.com or call and leave a voicemail at 903-231-2221. You can also send a voice message or get all of that contact information from the website, the audacitytopodcast.com. Now that I've given you some of the guts and taught you some of the tools, it's time for you to go launch or improve your own podcast for sharing your passions and finding success. I'm Daniel J. Lewis from theaudacitytopodcast.com. Special thanks to Brian from profitcastuniverse.com for co-hosting this episode with me. And thanks to you for listening. The Audacity to Podcast is a proud member of Noodle Mix Network. Find more of our award-winning and award-nominated podcasts to make you think, laugh, and succeed at noodle.mx. And remember to support us in the podcast awards. The Audacity to Podcast is also a proud member of the Tech Podcast Network. If it's tech, it's here. Find more at techpodcasts.com.